Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. My name's Pastor Brad. I'm the worship arts pastor here at New Life. It's a great privilege and joy for me to be able to welcome you all to a brand new series called Christmas at the Movies. And we're really, really excited about this series. In fact, it's a series that we did a couple of years ago, uh, but uh, we felt so compelled as Pastor Chris and I sat down this this uh, spring to plan this year. We just, you know, asked the Lord, Lord, what do you want us to do? And really felt compelled to do this series again. Uh, so we, we pray that it'll be a great series for you as it was last time to really grow deeper uh, and learn how to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus with the world one person at a time, which is what we're all about here at New Life. So uh, we're just so excited to have you here with us today. And uh, we, man, I'm, I'm excited for this series. As Pastor Chris mentioned, his mother's favorite season was the Christmas season, as is mine. I love, my absolute favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. It is my all-time favorite. My second favorite holiday is, uh, is Christmas. I love Christmas very, very much. Um, but the season overall that I love the most is buck season. And it falls right in the middle of Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I was, uh, any, any hunters in here? Anybody hunting? Okay, great. Excellent. Um, if you're like me, I, I went out this week and uh, I, didn't see a, I didn't see anything. Um, it was very sad. And only hunters understand that kind of depression. About three o'clock, you realize, why am I doing this with my life? I spent a lot of money and my feet are freezing. Um, and uh, it never fails, though. You see, like, you see a piece of a leaf go, and you're like, oh my goodness, and you're like, I know why I'm in this, you know, um, but, uh, but I, that's all I saw were leaves this week, and I was really sad about that, and in fact, yesterday, I was sitting in my, <clears throat> my kitchen, just literally about five minutes ready uh, before I was coming here to church, and uh, six-point buck runs through my, my yard, slow enough that I could have shot him, and, uh, and I have buck fever, and I was like, oh my gosh, jump out of my seat, and you know, I was like, there he is, and I, I really felt like he was running through the yard doing this the whole time, you know, and I said, I'm going to get you. You just wait, buddy. You just wait. Uh, but uh, yeah, I love, I love buck season. It's a lot of fun, but it falls in this Christmas season time. And I really, really uh, love Christmas. And, and so we're so excited here at New Life to be doing this series. Uh, but we want, to, want you to know three things before we jump into this series. The first thing is this. We believe that God still speaks today. We believe that God still speaks Today, Now, some people think that God stopped speaking to people way back in the Old Testament times. Other people think that God stopped speaking after the last apostle died in the, in the recording the New Testament. Uh, but we believe, based on the scripture, that God is still speaking through his Holy Spirit today. We believe he has a very important message to us. And that's the th- second thing we want us to understand uh, as we get into this series, is that God is telling a story. God is telling the story of history, and he's using his word to guide the truth, to direct it. And he's pointing out that Jesus is the center of the story. And so here at New Life, we, we believe that God uses many different ways to show us his truth um, and, and as he uses his word to direct it. And, and one of those venues that we believe that he does that is through movies. We think it's a great opportunity to capture our hearts and our minds uh, with his truth. And so that's why we're doing this series. But the third thing is what makes this all very, very important, that all of us belong in God's story. All of us belong in God's story. In fact, we were designed to belong. 
There was a study done on uh, LiveScience.com. It was an article that was written about some research that had been done about children who had a mother, in particular it was called uh, How a Mother's Love Changes a Child's Brain. And, and it, what they did is they looked at children, different, various children, those with um, moms who were very, very close and those with moms who were not uh, very close. And what they discovered were, was this, that children who had moms who were very, very close to them and made them feel like they belonged in their family, actually something changed uh, inside of them, and it caused them to not be so depressed later in life. Such a very important thing, especially in our world where depression uh, seems to run rampant, and a lot of it comes from just being hit by social media and all kinds of messages that we're, we're getting hit with all the time by the media and all of those different things. And, and, and these kids who had that sense of belonging really thrived. In fact, children can't thrive unless they feel like they can belong. But another interesting thing they found out about this, and I love this because I love science that is about the brain. I think it's such an incredible thing that God has put inside of our heads that I like to understand it a little bit. But what they found was these children that belonged in their families first, actually their brains began to grow new neurons that would allow them to thrive in situations where other people uh, might become depressed. And I thought that was just such a beautiful picture because we are designed to belong. We are designed to belong. And that's what Christmas is really all about. It's the story of Christmas, which is the story of belonging. Jesus is the center, but the plot is all about belonging. So our take-home point for today is so important, and this is what we want you to walk out of here with today, that everyone belongs in Jesus' story. Everyone belongs in Jesus' story. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, everyone belongs in Jesus' story. But I want to talk about story just for a minute. You know, in story, there are three elements that you have to have if you're going to have a great story. The first one is a hero. Now, my son, Frey, he, he loves to play Batman. He just, he loves that character. I don't know why. I think partially it's because it gives him permission to punch his brother. I think he really likes that, to be honest with you. I'm not sure. That'll be yet to be seen whether he's actually a villain or not. But, but anyway, the hero, as you know, is the good guy. He's the one who um, does the good stuff. And then there's the villain, right? You might be thinking of like Cruella de Vil, uh, Maleficent, uh, the Joker, Lex Luthor, Darth Vader, uh, Prince Hans of the Southern Isles, if you're a Frozen fan, or if you're a dad of a daughter who watches Frozen 10 million times, I feel like I just want to say to her, let it go, let it go, throw this movie out the window, you know, that, that, you know and, and now you're welcome, you'll have that in your ear the rest of the day, okay, possibly this week, and I'm okay with that because I have to hear it all the time. But, but, you know, so you understand the villain is the bad guy. He's the one who's uh, always seeking his own uh, self-interest. He's not really interested in anything else except himself and his own plans. Um, so he's the bad guy. But the third thing that makes a story great is the thing that matters the most, and that is conflict that demands a resolution, you have to have conflict that demands a resolution. Because if you have a hero, that's great. But if you, and you have a villain, that's great. But if they don't have any conflict, what's the story? Right? There's no story there. In fact, it's a lot like, uh, you ever go to the movies and, and in, the, in the, you know, the pre, 
I don't know what they call it, actually, where you watch all the things where they say turn your cell phone off, all that stuff. Previews. That's it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so in the previews, you know, they'll say, coming straight to DVD. And you know I'm never going to watch that movie. You know, that's, that's because that movie most likely doesn't have a plot or, do, you know, that has conflict that demands a resolution. And if it does, who cares? It's going straight to DVD, right? We're not going to watch that. It's like a Hallmark movie, you know? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You might, you might like Hallmark movies. I, I, I found out this week a good friend of mine loves Hallmark movies. And, uh, and I prayed for him a lot. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, if you, if you like Hallmark movies, that's great. That's fantastic. They're, they, they, they really do. They'll make you cry. I don't know how they do it, but they have a formula to make you cry. Um, but anyway, so you have to have this conflict that demands a resolution. Otherwise, uh, there's no interesting parts of the story. And, and here's the thing about conflict. Conflict determines the character. Conflict determines the character, right? So if you're, if you're on the good side of the conflict, you're the hero, right? If you're on the bad side of the conflict, you're the villain. So the conflict determines the character. And in fact, we experience this in our own life. There are times when we experience conflict in our life and we know like, hey, I, I'm over here on the good side. I know that I'm, I'm the hero in this story. Right, And then there are other times when we kind of come to realize, like, hey, I'm actually kind of being the villain here in this part of, of, of my life, and I need to maybe back off just a little bit. You know, we, we experience that from time to time. And, and, you know, our culture even says that that's true. There is a, a hero and a villain. But what the culture does, though, is, is makes it way more complex for us. In fact, most of us face way more complex situations in our lives. When it comes to dealing with other people and dealing with situations in our lives, sometimes the pro- this is the big problem. Sometimes we don't know whether we're the hero or we're the villain. And our culture loves to play into that. Yeah, go do this. Yeah, go buy this. Yeah, go spend time with this person. It's okay. You're the hero when really you're the villain. See, our culture has all this misperception in it. And it's really hard to understand. So in the clip we're going to watch today from an incredible movie called Rudolph, we're going to see this played out. We're going to see some misperception. And we're going to see some conflict. And we're going to see how it begins to work itself out. So let's watch this together. Now, aside from the abominable, business goes on as usual. And soon, it is right before Christmas. And everybody is getting ready for that big, big sleigh ride on the night of the 24th, Christmas Eve. You see, all the toys Santa brings are made by these elves. Seems elves have that certain knack for toy making. All except for this, this one misfit. Herbie! you finish painting that yet? There's a pile up a mile wide behind you. What's eating you, boy? Not happy in my work, I guess. What? I just don't like to make toys. No, well, if that's all... What? You don't like to make toys? No. Herbie doesn't like to make toys. 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 Toys? Shame on you. Do you mind telling me what you do want to do? 
Well, sir, someday I'd like to be a, a dentist. A dentist? Well, we need one up here. I've been studying. It's fascinating. You've no idea. Molars and bicuspids and incisors. Now, listen, you. You're an elf. And elves make toys. Now, get to work. Ten minutes break. Not for you. Finish the job or you're fired. Why am I such a misfit? I am not just a nitwit. You can't fire me, I quit. Seems I don't fit in. Ah, well, such is the life of an elf. Meanwhile, Rudolph is having his growing pains, too. Old Donner is determined to keep Rudolph's nose a secret. All right, son, try it on. I don't wanna. Daddy, I don't like it. You'll like it and wear it. Oh, but, Daddy, it's not very comfortable. There are more important things than comfort. Self-respect. Santa can't object to you now. So let me ask you a question. Who's the villain? Well, we understand in the story, in the plot of Rudolph, that the villain is the head elf, and the villain is Rudolph's parents, Donner in particular. And I know some of you might be saying, you know, Pastor Brad, I understand they're supposed to be the villain, but like, aren't they just confused? And my answer is absolutely yes, they are. They are confused. They are confused by their cultural misperception. They have a cultural misperception that is causing them to act a certain way. You see, in other words, a cultural misperception is, that, is this. The culture and the context that formed their thinking and their belief is directing their action. Their culture and their context is forming their belief and their thinking and therefore is directing their action. So the head elf is looking at Hermie and saying, Hermie, you're, a, you're an elf. You make toys. That's what you do. You can't be anything else because he didn't know anything else. And so he looked down and he caused gossip to happen against him and, and, and shame to happen against Hermie and, and Hermie quits. And Donner says to Rudolph, listen, you have to have self-respect. Some things are worth hiding so that you can have some self-respect so that Santa will accept you so that you can lead his sleigh because there's no other way you're going to be able to do it with a red nose. I mean, that's just weird. You see, Hermie and Rudolph were different. They were set apart from their peers. But the cultural misperception that played into this was that they didn't belong and caused them to feel like they didn't belong. You know, cultural misperception has been happening since the very beginning of time, actually. In fact, what I want to do today is I want to look at God's Word, and you can see it in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. You're going to see a story 
where cultural misperception began to happen. And here's what it says. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat of it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So who's the villain in this story? The serpent, right? Or Satan. Satan came along to Adam and Eve who were living a life that they were designed to live. They were in relationship with God. And not just any relationship. They actually walked with God. They talked with God, like literally spoke with him. They were in a good relationship with God. And God said, hey, listen, you can eat from any tree in this garden that I created for you, except for this one. Don't eat from it. And then the serpent coming along, he knows that, and he comes into the story, and he begins to whisper to Eve. And he says, hey, Eve, did God say you really can't eat from any of these trees in the garden? See, he was setting her up. She said, no, we can eat from any tree except for this one in the middle. This one in the middle God said we're not allowed to eat from it. In fact, we're not even allowed to touch it or we'll die. Do you know even that was a half-truth that Eve put in place? Because God didn't say you couldn't touch it. He just said you couldn't eat from it. And so Eve was looking at the fruit and the serpent said, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. God just doesn't want you to eat this fruit because he knows if you do, you'll become like him. You'll know good and evil. You see, Satan was all about coming in and trying to undercut God because Satan was thrown out of heaven. His actual name was Lucifer. He was thrown out of heaven because God judged him for trying to be God himself. And so Satan, knowing that, was coming into this relationship that God had that he designed for human beings and himself to have together. And Satan comes into this situation and he begins to whisper lies that God's not good enough. God's not all you need. Look at the fruit on this tree. It is tasty. It's good. And so Eve was convinced. She took a bite of the apple. She gave it to her husband. He took a bite of the apple. And something happened in that moment. See, before this, Adam and Eve, they were on the side of the hero. But when they made that one simple decision, they moved to the villain side because they disobeyed God, and now their relationship with God would be broken and hurt forever. And all because of a cultural misperception that was put out there by the enemy. 
Now, fast forward to the time of Jesus. There was a major cultural misperception happening here. There were two groups of people that were represented. There were the Pharisees and there were the tax collectors and disreputable sinners. And there was a conflict that was brewing. And that's what we find in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 9. Here's what it says. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, for I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So do you see the conflict that's present here? You've got these two groups, the Pharisees and the tax collectors and disreputable sinners. The Pharisees think they're on the highway to heaven. They've been obeying God's laws ever since they were born, really. It was put into their mind. They've been doing everything that they possibly can to follow God. And then over here was another group, the disreputable sinners, the tax collectors. <laughs> they knew they were messed up. In fact, some of them sold out. They were Jews who sold out to Rome and became the tax collectors. That was real. That's why the Pharisees called them scum, because they were sellouts to their own people. And so the Pharisees looked down on these tax collectors and these disreputable sinners, and there was a conflict here. And then enters Jesus. Jesus, who's fully man, fully God, comes into the situation. The Pharisees say to him, man, why is Jesus hanging out with these people? He should be hanging out with us. I mean, he is a rabbi. He is a teacher. Why isn't he hanging with us? This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. He's hanging out with these people, this scum of the earth. Why? And so the Pharisees asked the disciples, and Jesus overheard it. And Jesus said this. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. You see, what Jesus was able to do here was something so important that we need to understand. Jesus corrected their wrong thinking, which was formed by their cultural misperception, by providing truth that came from outside their culture and context. You see, what Jesus did is he corrected their thinking because he provided truth that came from outside their culture and outside their context. And only Jesus could do this. Fully man, fully God, what Jesus was doing is he was showing them the truth of the kingdom of God, not the truth of man. Because the Pharisees thought they had it all. They thought they knew what they were doing, and they were missing it. That's why Jesus said, I want you to go and I want you to see what it means to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. What Jesus was saying is, you've got to love these people. And here's the point of all of this, guys, that God cares for all people. God cares for all people. God cares for these tax collectors and disreputable sinners. So much so that he sent Jesus into this situation to teach us the truth 
But even more than that, later, Jesus would die a death on the cross in place of those people. He died for them. Three days later, after he was buried, God raised him back to life. And in that moment, Jesus overcame sin and death forever, took the keys of death from Satan, and now he offers us a brand new life. We offered them a brand new life. And Jesus said the, only, the way that you receive that, the only way you can receive that is not by doing, 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 which is what the Pharisees thought. It was by believing in him. You see, Jesus did the same thing for us. God sent Jesus because he cares for us so much. He loves us so much that he sent Jesus to live a perfect life, a life we could not live, to die a death on the cross that we should have died in our place. He was buried, and then three days later, God raised him back to life again. He overcame sin and death forever. And now we can receive his brand new life simply by believing. And when we believe, Jesus said, we receive in him, new life. So Jesus came to give these tax collectors and disreputable sinners in you and me a new life. Now, what about these Pharisees over here? You know, if you've been around church for any period of time, you've probably heard about a Pharisee and, and you've probably heard that, you know, that, that Jesus hated them. And I want you to understand something. Jesus didn't hate the Pharisees. He just hate what they did and what they believed. But Jesus loved them. He wanted them to be a part of his family too. He died for them as well because God cares about all people. We were all designed to belong in Jesus' story. All of us. That's why God sent Jesus into the world. And in that experience, in that moment, these tax collectors and disreputable sinners for the first time had hope that maybe their life meant something. And I don't know where you're at today, but maybe you need that for the very first time. You, you need to know that your life means something, that you have hope in Jesus. Maybe you need to know that God loves you. He has a plan for your life and that he cares deeply for you so much so that he sent his own son to die for you. Listen, if you'll grab a hold of that and you will believe, he'll change your life. That's what happens when we receive truth. When we receive truth in our life that's outside of our culture and outside of our context, it changes our lives. It actually changes everything about us. In fact, Rudolph uh, had something happen in, in his life that changed the course of his life in this way. So let's take a look at that clip together. Now, get back, and when everybody hears their story, they start to realize maybe they were a little hard on the misfits. Maybe misfits have a place too. Even Santa realizes that maybe he was wrong. Rudolph, I promise, as soon as this storm lets up, I'll find homes for all those misfit toys. All right, you can open up a dentist's office next week after Christmas. Come here, open your mouth. Oh, dear. I better set up an appointment for you week from Tuesday, 4.30, sharp. And I'm sorry too, Rudolph, for the way I acted. Open up! Isn't a fit night out for man nor beast? 
here's the man, and here's the beast. Now, calm down. Calm down. I reformed this bumble. He wants a job. Looky what he can do. And he doesn't even need a stepladder. But, but you went over the side of the cliff. Didn't I ever tell you about bumbles? Bumbles bounce. <laughs> Well, as everyone feels, this is no time for celebrating because the next day is Christmas Eve, the biggest day of the year. Papa, eat. How can I eat? That silly elf song is driving me crazy. You're going to disappoint the children. They expect a fat Santa. Latest weather report, sir. Well, this is it. The storm won't subside by tonight. We, we'll have to cancel Christmas. Papa, are you sure? Everything's grounded. Oh. oh, the poor kids. They've been so good this year, too. But I couldn't chance it. I'll have to tell everybody that it's all off this year. Quiet, quiet, please, everybody, quiet. Quiet. I've got some bad news, folks. Christmas is going to be canceled. There's nothing I can do. This weather. Yeah. Rudolph, Rudolph, please. Could you tone it down a bit? I mean, that nose of yours. I, that nose. That beautiful, wonderful nose. Huh? Rudolph. Christmas is not off, and you're going to lead my team. I am? Yes, sir. You and that wonderful nose of yours. My nose, sir? Oh, from what I see now, that'll cut through the murkiest storm they can dish up. What I'm trying to say is, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It will be an honor, sir. <laughs> I knew that nose would be useful someday. I knew it all along. <laughs> we all know somebody like that, don't we? <laughs> well, do you see what happens when truth is realized in somebody's life? It changes their story. It changes the plot line of their life. It changes their life altogether. You see, that's what Jesus wants us to understand today, is that if we will grab a hold of his truth, he will change our lives. So I don't know where you're at, but I want you to understand this one thing. You belong in Jesus' story. He has a place for you. He designed you to belong. And he wants you to be part of his family. You can do that today just by believing, by trusting in him. In fact, you can do it by living out this commitment, which says this. I will joyfully participate in Jesus' story and invite others to do the same. I will joyfully participate in Jesus' story and invite others to do the same. 
Just like Rudolph found his place and Hermie found his place, we can find our place in the story of history, which is being told by God through Jesus today. We all belong in Jesus' story because that is truly the story of Christmas. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that we can have your truth. And when it is applied to our lives, that you will change us from the inside out. And God, if there are any in here today who for the very first time are saying yes to you, are saying, I believe, I want to receive this belonging, I need to belong in your family, Jesus, I pray you would meet them right where they are today, Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, and that you would speak into their lives. God, would you just move in such a powerful way today that we will all leave changed because we've experienced your truth in our lives. Jesus, today, I pray for those of us who have been following you for some time, and I pray that you will give us boldness, that you will make us courageous and brave, that we can actually go out and live out this commitment and invite people to participate and belong in your story. God, would you do that today inside of us so that people whose story isn't going so well can be put into a great story of your love and belonging. In Jesus' name, amen.